So this session is entitled God's Grace to or for Parents. We're just having a little conversation about whether it's two or four parents. I'll let you be the judge. I think the answer is, I think the answer may be both, but uh, whatever you've already written down will work fine. So, um, so we heard in Jeff's message to us that um, you know we we don't parent in a vacuum. We're in our culture, and there's lots of competing views and voices into what it is to be a parent and what it is to be focused as a parent. And one of those can be heavily focused uh, in the secular world. It's heavily focused on the child's needs. And we can copy that to some extent, even into the church. We can transfer our focus as parents into focusing on the child's needs. We just make them kind of good needs. We want a, we want a good rounded education. We want them to have a nice family, a good health, a nice job. Um, or we can actually transfer them into into um, biblical values that, that Jeff alluded to or spoke to. Um, you know, we can desire our children to become Christians. We can desire them to grow in the service of their of in God's kingdom and using their skills. But I think in all of that, um, we can also overlook a very important piece, actually half of what God is doing through the role of parenting, and that is we can overlook God's work in us as parents or overlook the work in us as people who work and interact with and around children. I don't mean that we're oblivious to the difficulties and challenges that come from raising kids. Um, We've talked about those and some of the questions that came up as well. Um, But we can see those difficulties and challenges as incidental to the task of parenting, as as add-ons, rather than something that God intends to be there so they're kind of unwelcome. We might even think of them as something that God is able to redeem um, in his sovereignty and goodness, but we still see them as something in addition to the task of what we think is the task of parenting. So we think of them rather kind of like bumps in the road rather than part of the road itself. And my concern is that when we have that attitude to the difficulties of parenting, it can diminish and lessen our awareness of how God is deliberately and lovingly working in us and what God is deliberately and lovingly working in us as parents and through the parenting task. Now, if you've ever walked into a Christian bookshop, you'll know that one of the biggest sections is parenting books. And I wouldn't necessarily advocate many, but there are, there are some good parenting books out there. Probably after lunch, we'll, we'll mention a couple uh, that may serve you. Um, but nevertheless, I haven't come across one that focuses on the aspect of parents and what God is doing in parents through parenting. There's, there's, they may have a chapter or two that cover it. Uh, and if you know of one, please let me know because I'm interested <laughs> to read one um, that focuses on what God is working in and through um, parents. And it's odd because none of us would accept um, half the job in any other situation you wouldn't be satisfied if you took your car into the mechanics and he rotated two of the tires Um, or if you went to the dentist and he said well I've worked on your upper jaw um, you're good to go you know we we understand naturally in situations like that there's there's a whole picture and part of the whole picture is God's work in children and also God's work in parents and when we forget and miss what God is doing in us Um, It means I become, it's very easy for me to become passive, a passive agent in what God is doing. Um, It means I'm not actively 
pursuing God. I'm not actively coming, seeking to come alongside him in the process of what he's working um, through parenting. I'm not necessarily praying with as much intentionality and keenness as he would want me to. I'm not studying and seeking to apply God's word in the way I could be. I'm not seeking counsel and wisdom from others around me, speaking into my own soul or into my parenting as I could be and as I practice parenting. And the problem is if my parenting is not aligned, my plan for parenting is not aligned with God's plan of parenting, it's very easy to be left with a form of parenting which I'll call the Scooby-Doo version of parenting. It means I had a plan for my life, maybe for my day, maybe for this hour, and I would have got away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. <laughs> Rather than trusting that God is at work through those hours, through those days, through that life, not only in your children, but also in you. A familiar verse that I'm sure is familiar to many, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Um, we read, uh, we know that all things work together so we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God has a plan. This, these verses apply to parenting as much to, as to any other aspect of the Christian life. God has a plan to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and parenting is one of the means that he uses to do that. So um, this, the last session that um, Pastor Paul's going to bring to us, he's going to talk more about um, God's grace for parenting and certain aspects of how to apply God's truth um, in raising children. Um, this message is looking more at the question of God's grace to parents, a kind of a soul care for parents, as it were, but I'll warn you that um, the verses I want us to look at may initially strike you as odd ones, um, particularly in terms of what you want to hear in terms of um, being cared for. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'll bring them up on the overhead here too. Um, these are the words from the Apostle Paul, who was a spiritual father, as it were, to Timothy, his, his son in the faith. So here, um, these words spoken from um, Paul to his, his spiritual son. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So on first reading, that may not appear what you were expecting. You may wonder to yourself, now where's the care in that? That seems a little bit harsh and affronting to me. And certainly, what's it got to do with parenting? It reminds me of a, a story from my childhood. I have one brother who's uh, three years younger than me. And we were on a family vacation once um, out in outdoors. We were by a beautiful river. And I was going to take the opportunity to teach him how to skim stones. So I talked him through it. We selected the perfect stone for the exercise. And I get, did a couple of demonstrations and got some good skips across this river. 
and he was standing right beside me, and he uh, he took took his throw, and uh, the next thing I knew was that um, I was in great deal of pain, because it had hit me square between the eyes, from from standing beside me. I still don't quite understand how he managed to do that, um, but it wasn't what I was expecting, and it wasn't welcome, and. Uh, and you might feel uncomfortable with these verses in the same sort of way. It wasn't not quite what you're expecting. Maybe kind of hit you in a way that was uh, a little bit too close to home. Um, but I think from these these verses we see the the key storyline of the Bible, the key storyline of the gospel, and we want to see and consider how that applies to parents, how it helps us understand how and what God is deliberately and lovingly working in us as we raise children. Because if we fail to grasp these fundamental truths that, that are held within these verses, and if we fail to consider how they apply to how we raise children, they're going to cause us to be at odds, basically, with our maker, the maker of us, the maker of our children. Um, and these truths, I say, are fundamental. So if we get the starting point wrong, we will always be wrong going further down the track. If you're standing in a train station and you get on the wrong train track, doesn't matter how far you go down that track, you're always on the wrong track. So these verses are geared to help us make sure that we find ourselves and start ourselves on the right tracks um, for parenting as Christians and doing so by the grace God gives us. So we see in these verses, Paul is very keen that we hear and we accept one key truth about the mission of Christ Jesus. It's a simple truth. And yet it's also simply distorted, simply confused, and simply forgotten. In verse 15, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. So that applies to all of us. We've all sinned. We all deserve God's judgment for that sin. We all need saving by a help that's outside of us. Our sin disqualifies us. And it disables us from saving ourselves. But God has displayed his love and his mercy by sending the help to us that we most desperately need. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, not primarily to make our lives easier, not to make our lives more comfortable, not simply to teach us something, not simply to set us a good example, but to save sinners. These verses don't make explicit, though, how... Jesus saves us, but later on in chapter 2 of this book, Paul tells us that Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many. So on the cross, Jesus gave himself as a, as a substitute for sinners, bearing their punishment, bearing our punishment upon himself. So those who would trust in his death in their place and who repent of their sins can find mercy and forgiveness from God Almighty. And we can then walk in step with his spirit as he gives us grace for all of the Christian life and gives us grace for the role and task of parenting. And Paul didn't want Timothy to lose sight of God's saving mercy to sinners through Jesus. In fact, as life went on for Paul, and he wrote this letter to Timothy towards the end of his life, in Paul's eyes, two things increased. The breadth and the seriousness of his sin against God in the light of his perfect and holy character and also God's mercy to him a sinner in light of 
how glorious God is and how serious sin is. So two things increase, his awareness of his own sin and also the, 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 uh, the graciousness and the mercy of God to forgive him his sin. So that's how Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners. He's not writing that he's had some sort of objective survey of all sinners in the, in the uh, surrounding area, both those who have in the past or maybe those who are coming in the future. Paul's not looking outward, he's looking inward. He's looking into his own heart and his mind and as he is aware of um, God revealing to himself his sinful nature, his self-centeredness and natural tendency to um, do all things in a way which is godless, God reveals to him also, Paul's a more away, amazed at God's mercy to forgive him and his, Paul is grateful for that saving grace shown to him through Christ. And if you're a Christian, if we're all Christians here this morning, then we have been recipients of that same mercy and grace. We've trusted Christ Jesus to be our Savior. And that echoes, or we should be able to echo Paul's comment, knowing that we know no one's heart or mind any better than we know ourselves. And as we grow as Christians, we become more and more aware of how much sin pervades everything in us, and yet God remains merciful and we actually grows in our appreciation for him grows as we become more aware of how much he has forgiven us. So that truth, the gospel, is to remain at the center of the Christian life. It's meant to remain at the center of the Christian parent's life. And one application of that truth um, in the task of parenting and raising our children is found in the very next verse, in verse 16. So Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, uncles, children's ministry instructors, whatever our connection with children, what's most important is that we are sinners in receipt of God's mercy. And our lives are intended to be an example that put the spotlight on Jesus and display his perfect patience that we've received and display that to our children. And that's something that's true throughout our Christian lives and throughout the parenting task. It doesn't change as our children get older. It's not something that receives more attention when they're younger or only comes into play when they're much older. It may look a little different as children understand and grasp different things. But these verses that we're looking at here remain foundational to our lives as a Christian and foundational to what we are putting on display to our children. So, and that's the reason why I wanted to focus on these verses, that if the truth of verse 15 is not central to us as parents, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners and I am the worst sinner that I know, then the example that we put on display to our children that Paul's talking about in verse 15, sorry, in 16, won't be the example that God intended. There will be an example on display to our children. There's, there's always an example on display to our children. It just won't be of God's mercy to sinners. So even if you're seeking to teach the gospel to your children, our example could conflict with the message we're teaching them. And so I want to first of all address what that may look like when we drift from full acceptance of the gospel and the, verse and, and the truth in verse 15 
that Christ came to save sinners. And I might understand my view in that. And how that might affect how our children see us. And then I want to see how can we press in and fully accept, as Paul exhorts us to, the ver- that verse 15, and build our lives upon it and how we build our, our parenting upon the mercy we receive from God as sinners. And this is the main reason why I feel comfortable talking on this subject this morning. I feel I can, I can speak with some authority with how I get things wrong, how I drift away from the gospel, and how I give an, exi- an example to my children other than one of a re- sinner in receipt of God's mercy. So when I lose sight of me being the worst sinner I know, that I'm in desperate need of God's mercy and his great patience and provision to me through Christ, I can forget that it's Christ that's meant to be on display to my kids and his qualities, and I can replace them with the idea that it's meant to be me on display to my kids, and it's meant to be my qualities on display to my kids. At the core is this idea of being self-righteous, that I've got something inherent to myself that's worth showing to my children, and ultimately showing to God. And when self-righteousness is at the center of my parenting, my kids are going to experience, at some point or another, they're going to experience either judgment or despair in my parenting, and probably both. So, with seven kids, there have been countless times that Kelly and I have looked at each other after witnessing something our children have done, and said something to the effect of, I can't believe they just did that. And we say it in a term that's referring to how they've imaginatively chosen to explore and discover the world around them. So it might mean, for example, on an Easter Sunday morning, finding them in the backyard wearing their Easter clothes, having just decided to dig a hole in the, in the ground. <clears throat> or it may be multiple occasions where someone's given themselves a, a self-inflicted haircut, which has then taken a significant amount of time to uh, grow out of. Or it may be collecting various and assorted items out of the toilet that I just wouldn't have imagined anyone would think to put down a toilet. These are some of the things that my children have done that we look at and we think, I can't believe you chose to do that. In terms of referring to their childish tendencies and their, their kind of curiosity thing to learn and explore. But there's other times when I'm tempted to say, I can't believe you just did that, that has a whole different meaning. If that's my response to how my children behave, if it's in response to their sin, if it's in response to how they treated their sibling, if it's in response to how they responded to parental authority, if it's how they tried to deceive to cover up sin, If I say to those situations, I can't believe you just did that, then it reveals that I've drifted away from the truth of verse 15. That I'm able to perceive them as a worse sinner than myself. If I can say, I can't believe you just did that. Jesus taught a parable, which is probably familiar to you, to help people with self-righteousness understand themselves as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in in Luke chapter 18. I'll read that quickly. You can turn it if you wish. Luke 18, um, verse 9, it starts there. It says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I think I'm going to assume it's fair to say that we would all want our children to model themselves after the tax collector in how they related to God. But the tax collector in that story, in that parable, didn't learn that response to God by observing the Pharisee. In fact, he would have learned an entirely different way to approach God if the Pharisee was his role model. He would have been confident in his own deeds, his own righteousness to stand before God. And that self-righteous Pharisee is a million miles from the person that Paul describes in verse 15 as the worst of sinners. The Pharisee is, at best, he's short-sighted in seeing his sin. At worst, he's entirely blind to his sin. So he feels no need for God's mercy. And because he sees no need for God's mercy, he's not in the habit of asking God for mercy. Because he's not in the habit to ask mercy, he's not in the habit to show others mercy. And the self-righteous parent can correct without having received mercy and compassion, doesn't show mercy and compassion to their children, but does so as with a reminder perhaps to try harder or to do better, to meet expectations that they may be blind to realize that they're not even meeting themselves. So the self-righteous parent may tell a child to stop making so much noise by making the, their voice the loudest one that can be heard. Or... They can tell a child to be more patient with their sibling in a tone or a voice that is anything less than patient. Or they may get exasperated with a child for their laziness over not cleaning up after themselves because it interferes with their plan to be lazy. I can give you all of those examples because they're all personal examples. And I know there's many others. So I'm sure you can add your own. Because a parent has lost sight of being a recipient of mercy and humbly delighting in receiving that mercy, rather than experiencing mercy, the child experiences judgment and expectation from the parent that they should meet a standard that the parent's not meeting themselves. And in fact, because our, sinners, because our kids are sinners too, in some way or another, they're, they're bound not to meet our expectations. And so parenting is just going to be this continuing effect of trying harder to impose our standards and then judging children by those standards. And it becomes this cycle of trying, imposing the standards and measuring ourselves and failing. I can remember an example of how this played out in my own parenting style, not one that I'm going to recommend you follow. Several years ago when we were living in Maryland, uh, I got frustrated to the point of needing to do something drastic regarding how the children didn't tidy up after themselves. Nothing wrong with wanting kids to tidy up after themselves. But I wasn't concerned with what it reflected of their attitude to obey their parents. 
I wasn't concerned with training them to be good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to them. I wasn't interested in training them to clean up in a God-honoring way. I wanted them just to learn instantly how to clean up in a Toby-honoring way. And I didn't want to go through much effort either in training them, so I just attempted to make my expectations just clearer. So some people will actually appreciate this, I think. I made up some posters for most of the rooms in the house, eight and a half by 11 posters, with just three, four, maybe five bullet points of what a, this room looked like if it was to be tidy, complete with pictures. I laminated it, and I put it on the wall in, every, in each of these rooms. I thought it couldn't be simpler. The expectation is now clear, and all you need to do is read the sign on the door or the wall, and now the room is going to be perfectly tidy. Nothing wrong, per se, necessarily with making clear instructions. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that my motives were out of laziness and a desire for self-control, for control. And sadly, I'd lost sight of God's mercy to me. And in my self-righteousness, I just set the bar so high without giving my children the proper care and training, without pointing them to the, God, the grace that God would offer to them to clean up in a God-honoring way. So needless to say, I don't need to go into details, my grand system failed. And it's interesting, children, especially young children, have a means, uh, a way, and I think it's God's means of grace to us for blowing up our self-righteous plans because they just don't care. They don't care about making you feel well good about yourself. And they just don't buy into it. And after all, why would they? It's a terrible idea. And so when these plans fail, when we set up our expectations higher and just hold other people to them without holding ourselves to them, it can lead to the other response of self-righteous parenting, and that's despair and discouragement. And it's not the despair and discouragement that perhaps Jeff was talking about earlier, which can be a godly assessment of the situation and then turning to God for a way out. At some point, we throw our hands up in despair and wondering why our kids just don't get what we want them to get. And we just feel totally out of ideas and totally out of energy and totally out of strength when all of our ideas and efforts result in no success. Despair in that situation is a common response. Or, or despair may come from trying to parent out of our own strength to try to present this perfect example to our children. That's the other flip side of this is we, we hold that standard high and we expect to present that to our children and for the world at that matter. And at some point, we're going to get to the end of ourselves and realize that we just don't have the strength to live uh, to the righteous standards that God sets. So it's worth noting that self-righteous despair is not godly sorrow for sin. Self-righteous despair is just a self-centered disappointment that I've not been able to meet my own standards. And typically that despair and that discouragement lasts long enough until you come up with the next great idea of how to get the kids to then to do the, do the things you want them to do, or you've had a rest and you think you've now got the strength to try harder next time. It's not the despair that the tax collector had in that parable in Luke 18. The tax collector had his eyes on God, and he was aware of his need for mercy. The self-righteous parent has their eyes on themselves and is only aware of the need to try harder. So self-righteousness and self-righteous parenting, as I mentioned, can trap you in this cycle of trying to be the best parent you can or trying to raise the best kids you can 
encountering weakness or failure, either on your part or their part, and then working harder simply to try to fix it, try to harder and do better next time. I don't know if you notice what's missing in that cycle. Actually, it's, it's who's missing from that cycle. Christ, Jesus, and God's mercy to us through him. That's, that's the means, that's the key for breaking that cycle of self-righteousness. We are to repent of depending upon our own righteousness and our own strengths and our own efforts and return to what Paul holds out to us in verse 15 and hear God's word and accept it is true as Paul exhorts us to that it's true and trustworthy that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners even self-righteous parents that is incredibly good news for parents it's incredibly good news for everybody but it means that God doesn't intend for my example to my children to be one of perfection, but as an example of a recipient of mercy. And it's not just a recipient of mercy, kind of a ho-hum level of mercy. They could see a better example somewhere else. To me, it should seem like I am the biggest demonstration of God's, recipient, God's display of mercy because I am the chief of sinners. And if I don't exhaust God's capacity for mercy, then I can hold that out with all hope to my children because I know they won't exhaust it either. So this morning, I want to encourage everyone, wherever you are in your parenting or encounter with uh, children or in your walk with Christ, receive God's mercy through Christ Jesus afresh. Even now, remember that God has had mercy on you and continues to have mercy on sinners who humbly come and turn to him. And rather than perhaps being discouraged as we might initially be when we turn to a verse like this and think that's a little harsh, actually recognizing this reality is a great encouragement to us and a great encouragement to us, or it should be in our parenting. Because if, you if you're thinking of a particular failure as a parent or a particular sin as a parent, if you're aware of your parenting coming out of your own strength or out of a sense of self-righteousness. These, these verses tell us that you haven't thwarted God's plan for your family. You haven't disqualified yourself in being parent for your children. God intends still to display through you his perfect patience in Christ. And that you can hold out to your children the attraction of Christ's beauty, how he is perfectly patient with sinners like you you and me, that Christ Jesus is a merciful Savior. But it's not simply enough to just tell our children that God is merciful to all people and all sinners, parents and children alike. It's not, not enough simply to tell them that we all are in need of God's mercy. We, we should and we must teach our children the gospel, their need for mercy. But verse 16 also teaches us that God intends for our children to see those truths functioning in our lives. So, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Imagine if you wanted to convince someone to go to your doctor, and your argument to them was that you were once really sick, and you went to the doctor and they cured you, and maybe that was a long time ago. And that's it. 
Now, that may be a compelling argument to some. But how much more compelling would the argument be by saying that you once went to this doctor and you were really sick and he healed you and you still fight with sickness and you go to this doctor daily and daily he heals you. Daily he cares for you and gives you the power and strength that that you need. Wouldn't that be a more compelling display of the doctor's powers in your life? Now, this isn't an argument to, to excuse sin. You can't, it's not, the, the Bible doesn't allow us to say, well, look, it makes the doctor look better if I continue sinning, if it shows how good a doctor he is. Or, you know, in verse 16, it continues to show Jesus' perfect patience if I continue to mess up. God's mercy is a, is a transforming mercy. Jesus' healing of sin and sickness includes the power to overcome sin. But rather, what is true for Paul is to be true for us. As we go on as a Christian, two things are meant to increase in our awareness and in our view. The breadth and seriousness of our sin in light of God's perfection and holiness and the enormity of his mercy that we have received through Jesus Christ in light of our sin. And when that's a reality for us, we can say what Paul says In the verse after these ones, Paul can't help himself, but when he's reflected upon the mercy that he has received as as the worst of sinners. In verse 17, Paul says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want to conclude by suggesting um, just some applications of how these verses might work out. Um, for us as Christians in our parenting. Um, as we, as we um, are intentional and fight by faith to fully accept what God has put for us in verse 15, it should re- look like a growing dependence upon God. As we are more aware of our sin, we should be more of aware of our needs for God's grace in all things, not just in parenting, but parenting. Parenting is what we're thinking of this morning. And two of the key ways in which we can then receive God's mercy and grace is through prayer and through being in his word. As I pray for myself, for the struggles that I know I'm going to face and face in dealing with sin and temptation, in dealing with difficult situations, needing strength and energy, needing wisdom, I should be crying out to God in prayer, knowing that he loves to hear his children and give them good things. And I should be feeding on his word like a desperate, hungry man looking for God's grace to equip me for the role that he's called me to. And I should be praying for my children. Jeff was talking about this. That's how we, the roles we've been called to. If I know that I've got nothing to offer my children of myself other than my sin, then I should be desperately praying for my kids that God would give to them, perhaps through me, but give to them what they need that should always feature in our lives uh, in one way or another. Um, I think it's just helpful to recognize that through different seasons of our parenting, um, taking time to be in God's Word, taking time to pray, can look very different. So I can go back to 1995, which was my third year in college. And for many years, I was holding 1995 up in my mind as the perfect 
devotional time with God. I was a single guy at college. Uh, I'd been a Christian for three years, and I had this perfect routine. In the mornings, waking up early, I'd go for a jog, have a shower, have about an hour or so in my Bible and reading before I went off to lectures, and it was great. God was teaching me stuff. I felt communion with the Lord as I was praying. And because it was so great, that was uh, for, for many years, so married a year after that, children five years after that, I was holding 1995 up as the example, this is what good devotions should look like. And if I couldn't get up early and have an hour's devotion reading my Bible and praying, either because I'd been up in the middle of the night multiple times or I needed to get to work or for whatever reason, I started to get frustrated, I started to feel guilty because I wasn't doing things right. But kindly, by God's grace, he helped show me that that was my rule that I'd set up. It doesn't have to look that way. And for different seasons of our lives through the parenting cycles of ups and downs and, and things that that brings, we need to hold our plans loosely. The point is more as sinners, we, we never escape the need, our feeling of dependence upon God. And we express that through prayer and express that through being on, in his word. So I, don't, I can't give you a... a a template or a blueprint of what that should look like for you. Um, but I would encourage you to talk to people in a similar season of life to you or have been through similar seasons of life to you because they can give you, um, you can talk about the same things, but uh, give you help and suggestions of what may have worked for them. And husbands and wives as well work together in this. Talk about how can you serve one another to make that time with God a priority. How can a husband protect his wife's time in the word and in prayer? How can the wife honor and protect her husband's time in the word and work together to show to, the, to your children together that that is guarded and special? Second way in which we can apply this is through letting our children experience your confession. And that may mean your, ex your confession to them for your sin against them as parents. Maybe it's for being uh, holding up self-righteous standards. But it could be simply through the way you've spoken to them, the way you've addressed them. It could also be what they've observed in your um, behavior to your spouse or to others that they've witnessed. If we are seeking to be humble and rec re receive God's mercy, then we need to show to our children, as verse uh, 16 talks about, we need to show them that we are recipients of God's mercy. And we do so by talking about our failures and our sin in a way which shows them that we are, we've been forgiven and we hold that out to them. You can also include examples of how you need forgiveness and, and confession through all of life. could be um, at work, at the workplace. There's been opportunities, unfortunately, <laughs> that I've had where I've come home and around the family dinner table, I've had said, kids, let me tell you about something that happened at work today. Let me tell you about how I lost my temper in a meeting and said something in a way that I shouldn't have said. And let me tell you about how I'm going to have to go back to someone tomorrow and, and ask for their forgiveness. You must be careful. We shouldn't use our confessions as a tool to manipulate our children. Daddy's really sorry. Now, aren't you sorry for what you did? That kind of thing. If there's no true repentance before God first and foremost, then there shouldn't be any confession before our children. 
But let, let there be true repentance before God and then let there be confession before our kids. And don't just confess necessarily specific instances of sin. As you come alongside your children, come, come alongside them with humble conversations about how you walk as a sinner through life as well and how you've received grace and mercy in any and every situation, similar situations to what they face, maybe different situations. But be humble. Don't speak over them, but speak as a fellow sinner. And of course, that's going to look differently through their ages and through their maturity um, in the same way as what you confess to your children. That's going to look different depending on the age and maturity of your children. So use wisdom in that. Um, but be humble, be open and honest to them. Um, the last application I would suggest um, in how we apply these verses in our walk um, and parenting and before our children is let them witness your participation and dependence upon the church body. As you seek counsel and wisdom into your parenting and into your heart and soul, Invite input, invite prayer from others around you. And you've taken a great step. You've, you're here this morning, um, which says that you're seeking God's word and God's teaching for parenting. But think about how you're going to tell your kids when you get home or how you might tell somebody else, a neighbor, or somebody asks you what you did this weekend. You have an opportunity to reveal to them that you're weak, that you're a sinner maybe, and that you are in need of God's help. And he supplies mercy and help through the body of believers that we call the church. It's another way of showing that we don't have all the answers to our kids or all the strength, but God has given us a, the means of grace through the church to help us grow and receive God's mercy and grace. Let me close um, with the promise that is held in the end of verse 16. Paul says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We have a tremendous privilege and opportunity as parents to hold out to our children the mercy that we've received as sinners. that They also might believe and trust in Christ as their saviour and that they may know eternal life. And I know of no other privilege or opportunity that is so exciting and such a op great opportunity. As you and I accept verse 15 more and more, as Paul, ex Paul exhorts us to, it's worthy of and deserving of full acceptance that as we live out the receipt of God's mercy through Jesus Christ, God puts the spotlight on his Son so that others can see and believe for eternal life. So that we can parent out of the mercy of God to the glory of Christ. Let me pray, and then well, I'll take some questions. Father God, I thank you for your mercy and grace to sinners. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy and grace to each and every one of us here this morning. Lord, thank you that it is your kindness to reveal to us the depths of our sin, 
Because in doing so, it reveals to us the wonder of your mercy and forgiveness through Jesus. And I pray for each of us here, myself included, Lord, that you would increase our faith to see and understand more clearly how much we are in need of your forgiveness, of your mercy, and how in Jesus Christ you have abundantly supplied that forgiveness and mercy. May our lives be lived humbly and transparently before our children in a way which displays Christ's perfect patience. And would you use that, Lord, I pray, to accompany the message, to support the gospel as you would apply that to their hearts and lives, that you would bring them to fullness of faith in their need for your mercy, that they would receive that mercy through faith in Christ, that they would participate with us in eternal life, in the worship of our Savior Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.